I'm sitting with the inimitable and venerable Jim Wallace, New York Times bestselling author, public theologian, speaker, and international commentator on ethics and public life. I like that description, Jim, because of course, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for whom this podcast is named, was all about ethics. He was, in fact, an ethicist. And I have compared you to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You're just a little older than he was, but not by much. And what a pleasure to have you here to talk about your new book, Christ in Crisis. I think I like the subtitle even more than the very powerful title, why we need to reclaim Jesus. Can we dive right into that? What do you mean reclaim Jesus? You know, we're fellow disciples of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he really figured in this book, in my mind, in my heart. Um, remember the question that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said was always important to ask was, is, who is Jesus Christ for us today? Indeed. That's always the question. And this book tries to respond to that question. I remember uh, right after the campaign and election in, in 2016, uh, I was being just questions everywhere coming at me, every, legions of questions from people who were afraid and didn't know what to do. They were black pastors who were afraid of their youth group, uh, uh, young people being targeted by police, racially targeted. Immigrant families and activists for immigrants worried about whether the family would be together at night uh, without somebody being deported. Um, pastors, church leaders, um, uh, senators who would say, I don't know what to fight. There's too much to fight. What do I fight? And one church leader um, called and said, I'm just reacting. I'm uh, to immigration policy, to refugees being banned. I, I feel like I'm just reacting every day as, a, as the head of a denomination. How do I act? How do I assert my faith? Then he asked, Jim, is this a Bonhoeffer moment? Mm, I remember you reflecting on this somewhere else, but and you've uh, treated it in Sojourners magazine, the journal. Wow. And how did you answer well, such a question? That question led to a whole new conversation between several of us, uh, and it led to the Reclaiming Jesus mm declaration, but now really it's a movement. So uh, Bishop Michael Curry, presiding bishop, Episcopal Church, and I and other... The love preacher. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a kindred spirit and a dear friend. And about 20 other, we, we're all old, so we're called elders, <laughs> <laughs> did an Ash Wednesday retreat together at his residence in New York and decided... Um, that we had to say something and do something and write something. And the Barman Declaration, as you know, which was crucial to those days, the 1930s, in the beginning of a confessing church. Exactly. Was 
the statement in response in to response, the corruption of the church in Germany just, under Nazism and Hitlerism. It was on our minds. And we talked about that statement. And we decided that we had to say something in response to this time now, to, to um, the injustice and the hypocrisy all around. Status and, confessiones. Yes. And so many international Christian leaders were calling and said, what's going on? Why isn't the church saying anything or doing anything when so many things were happening, especially to those who Jesus told us to protect, the least of these? Mm. Now, I live in Washington, D.C., as do you, and it is always true that the least of these, uh, this was my conversion text, Matthew 25, uh, I call it the It Was Me text. I heard you preach on it this past Wednesday night, and I will never forget that message. Well, I was Jim. a student activist at the time, trying to figure out my way, and I had been kicked out of my little church in Detroit over the issue of race and war. But this text, I had never read anything so radical and transforming. He said, it was me. I was hungry. Yes. I was thirsty. I was naked. I was sick. I was a stranger. The word means immigrant. Mm. I was sick, I was in prison, and where were you? Yes. Lord, when do we see you hungry and thirsty and naked and sick and a stranger? And he says, as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. I'll know how much you love me by how you treat them. Mm. Well, in this town, the least of these are the least important. They're yes. always ignored. Who's important here is the powerful, the wealthy, or the middle class. But to be ignored is one thing. Now we're seeing a targeting of the least of these, a deliberate, hmm. mean-spirited, cruel targeting hmm. of the hungry. Let's slash SNAP and food stamps. Let's take away Medicaid from the sick. Uh, let's deny immigrants their rights. Um, and so Even refugees of late, banning including refugees religious refugees. And refugees coming to congregations. Yes. To, they've been invited, welcome to stay and live, and they now can't come, right? So these are, these are gospel issues. So I remember when all this began in 2017, the first six months of this new administration, I, I just couldn't sleep at night. I was getting up early in the morning and uh, and I went downstairs to be quiet and to pray and to to look at the scriptures and see what I needed to find. And I ended up in Acts, uh, the first few chapters. And I thought, well, these early believers, this was their first things that they did. And they were reacting to a situation like ours of massive injustice and intense religious hypocrisy. And I noticed, you know, when you go to the Bible with new questions, even texts you've known for a long time, there's always new things. And what I found was it said, here's Peter and John coming out of the gate, and here's this disabled man asking for some assistance. They said, gold and silver have I none, but what I have I give to you. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. In the name. Then they would go preach. 3,000 came the first day. Five thousand the second day, in the name of Jesus. Mm. Everything they did, healing, 
teaching, preaching was in the name of Jesus. So then they were arrested by the authorities. And it was interesting because the authorities said, these are just, they call them, uneducated, ordinary men. Yes. Who are companions of Jesus. Mm -hmm. They weren't afraid of them at all. But this name is stirring up the people, inspiring the people, disrupting things. And they told them, uh, do what you want, but don't speak in that name. Stop speaking in that name anymore. And that's when Peter says so wonderfully, well, no matter what you say to us about what's right or wrong, how can we not speak of what we've seen and heard? It was the name of Jesus, and I realized that's been lost in this moment, that all of the uh, horrible things happening, and I want to make clear, Donald Trump is not the problem or the cause. At most, he is a consequence. Mm -hmm. He is a reflection of what's been happening for a long time. And I think it's revealed this, this administration and the response or lack of response to it from Christians. It's revealed that too many Christians in this country have become disconnected from Jesus. Mm, and that's, that's what this has revealed. And this is really the most profound part of the book. I have to interrupt myself just for a minute and say that as you were speaking there of the name of Jesus, the picture that was conjured in my mind was my early days, my first ministry assignment in the chapel at Teen Challenge. If anyone knows Teen mm, Challenge, a home mm -hmm. for troubled men, uh, mm -hmm. in my case, uh, coming out of mostly addictions. I had mm -hmm. 15 recovering heroin addicts, lived with them in a house. And the song they loved most when we gathered in chapel was, in the name of Jesus, mm -hmm. in the name of Jesus. I can see them. When you were talking, I, I, I saw Carlos and Jorge and the others there, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. They were tied to Jesus. So you organized your approach to this uh, whole question, which is a very Bonhoeffrian thing to do. In fact, the other thought I had as you were talking was Bonhoeffer's discussion of the Bible, mm -hmm. in and he says you can't even get anything from the Bible unless you ask of it questions, unless you query true, it. True, true. And the so deeper true. you query it, the more answers you get and the more profound are those answers. And you ask a number of questions in Christ in crisis. Mm -hmm. The book is actually organized around questions regarding the neighbor, the image, the truth, the power, the fear question, the Caesar question, the peacemaker question, and the discipleship question. Why? Why? Why did you structure it around questions? Because that's what I. That's what I found when I did what, as you say, what Bonhoeffer always said to do, go to the Bible with our questions from right now. And I did that, and Bishop Michael Curry and I, we, he wanted to come and talk about Bonhoeffer in this moment, and we had dinner at 5 o'clock. At 11 o'clock, they had to kick us out of the restaurant because <laughs> we were still talking. And out of that came the Reclaiming Jesus declaration, and this video we did about it that had 5 million people respond. 
That's the hunger out there. Where can you see the video? It's reclaimingjesus.org or sojo.net, but it's, an, it's just the elders just speaking uh, some words together of this declaration. And the hunger for rediscovering Jesus is profound. I am deeply encouraged by what I am hearing, not just inside the churches, but outside. A new generation of young people who are seeking. So I began to look at the Gospels again with what was on my heart, on my mind, in the news, and it struck me that Jesus has these, I chose eight core fundamental questions that he either asked or prompted. He either asked or uh, people asked of him, like, um, who is my neighbor? So here's this lawyer coming to Jesus, and he says, uh, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. Simple as that. Now, I think the lawyer in that story was a Washington lawyer, because <laughs> I know that tone of voice. So he says, who is my neighbor? <laughs> now, he didn't say, who is my neighbor? How can I? He said, exactly who is my neighbor? I want to narrow this. And then Jesus does this famous story of the Good Samaritan that most people know. But I, I studied that story over and over, and I found new things. It wasn't just... Uh, don't walk by, stop and help, spend your time, your money, risk your, yourself to help somebody else. That's all there. But, you know, none of the Judeans thought there were any good Samaritans. Yeah. Because they were a mixed race. They were right. the other. Jesus picks an other as his model for who is my neighbor, that question. An other who helps another, different than him. And the text says... Your neighbor is the one who's different than you. I read Gustavo Gutierrez about that. And he said, your neighbor is not in your path. Your neighbor's outside your path. You've got to go outside your path to find your neighbor. And we have now our neighbors being demonized, being uh, made afraid of, being lied about, being uh, stoking resentment, hatred, fear, and even violence against those who are different than us. This is a violation of this fundamental teaching of Jesus. Your neighbor, who you must love, is the one who's different than you. So that question just opened up immigration policy and refugees and all of what we're speaking about. But one question after another just opened up this so much beyond politics, deeper than politics. These are gospel issues. These aren't partisan issues. These are things, no matter what our political parties are, our candidates, these are questions we have to answer. And in these terribly Bonhoeffrian times, and when you gave me the honor of endorsing your book, Christ in Crisis, I thought immediately of Bonhoeffer and his times and you've suggested that a number of ways here, I suggest in my endorsement in the book that in fact you are a Bonhoeffer for our times and we have others, we have other Bonhoeffers. But when you think about the context of Bonhoeffer's life and work and mission and ministry, it is so much like our own times and you know, uh, I, I've, I've now given up uh, you know, caution when it comes to making these comparisons, because for me, the question is not whether 
Donald Trump is Adolf Hitler, but whether the church in America is the church in Germany. Mm -hmm. And what went wrong there. And of course, the church remained mute, even though she saw what was happening mm -hmm. around her. The people of God saw it, and yet they remained quiet. You have spoken to it in a very powerful way here. And I appreciated you saying you're so encouraged because whenever we get on these kinds of subjects, it sounds a little dour. It sounds like, you know, uh, we're pessimistic about the future, that we're fatalistic about the future. That's not how I read Christ in Crisis, that while you deal with the reality, which again is a Bonhoefferianism because he was big on on the intersection between the gospel and reality, on what really faces us. We can't be wishful and, and dismiss it with hopeful thoughts. We have harsh reality, people suffering in front of us. And yet, there is an optimism in Christ in crisis. Can you talk a little bit about what keeps you optimistic in the end? Well, you are right that history doesn't just repeat, but it does rhyme. Mm. <laughs> so there are lessons to be learned. Mm. Um, Nicely said. And I think, you know, whether our strongman, this aspiring autocrat who likes other strongman autocrats, what he would do might be not exactly the same as what Hitler did, but what he's doing rhymes with that. It's very similar to that. Uh, for, for example, uh, one of the questions in the book is, what is truth coming from Pilate's debate with Jesus? Pilate is losing the debate to Jesus about what truth is. And so he says, oh, okay, there is no truth. What is truth? What is truth? And washes his hands and he crucifies Jesus. Reminding me of, of another strong man who says, there is no truth, it's all fake news. Autocrats don't want you to believe there even is truth. It isn't just that they lie. They lie all the time. It's deeper, it's more dangerous than just legions of lies. It's wanting us to think there is no truth or we can't find it. Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. An autocrat says, there's no truth, so just believe me. Jesus says, no. The truth is tied to our freedom. So when I raise these questions now, and we're just starting this, uh, hopefully helping to, with many others, spark a new national conversation about Jesus. Uh, I had experience the other night where I'm with these students and their uh, interns in Washington uh, from a university. And, um, uh, they looked tired and glum from their long day on the hill in the White House and agencies. But I began talking about this Jesus and these questions, and the room lit up, hmm. hands all over it. Everyone said, I'm formerly a Christian, or I was raised Baptist, Catholic, Presbyterian, uh, or I'm not Christian, or I... But say more about this Jesus, hmm. this brown-skinned Jewish rabbi who was born in now Palestinian-occupied territory, and they were wanting to hear about him. And then they said things like a Muslim young woman says, 
I've never heard a Christian talk like this. I've never heard a white person talk like this. But how white nationalism, which is very similar to what we saw in the 1930s, yes. the President of the United States is now a champion for white net. He's, he's applauded by people who are committing violence for white nationalism. White nationalism is an offense to God. It's anti-Christ. It's not just a political problem. Um, uh, racism isn't just a political issue. It's anti-Christ. Yes. Uh, the treatment of women, uh, trafficking, uh, misogyny, uh, assault, abuse, isn't just sexism. It's anti-Christ. Um, to treat those that are called the strangers by taking kids away from their mothers, putting them in cages, this isn't just lack of compassion, this is anti-Christ. So what we're facing here, and I know this sounds tough and blunt, but it's anti-Christ politics versus the politics of Jesus. And when these young people outside the churches, outside of our boundaries, heard about the politics of Jesus, and how they're so different than the politics they plunge into every day in their internships, they just got really excited. So mm -hmm. I am eager to be a part of, this won't be just a book tour, author speaks, questions, sign books. This, these are town meetings across the country. Uh, Otis Moss III and his, his endorsement said, the country is hungry for a fresh introduction to the person and teachings of Jesus. So this crisis is full of danger for marginalized people. Terrible, terrible risk and danger. Parents worried about, black parents, about their kids going out the door every morning, every morning. Yet, the crisis is an opportunity, danger and opportunity, to have a different conversation, a deeper conversation. So my hope is this is just a tool, one resource, one tool, to get that conversation going. And so far, so far, what I'm hearing from Christians who so want to talk about the gospel but can't because we're so polarized, pastors who want to speak this but don't know how in their divided congregations, uh, young people who aren't sure about Christians anymore, but they sure like this conversation about Jesus. So we'll see. But I come away from meetings being inspired by the diversity, uh, generationally, racially, gender, and I go home and turn on the news in my hotel room, and it's very depressing, and that's what we see every yes. day. So there are multiple conversations going, and I just think we have to have a new conversation about Jesus. Well, I wish uh, some national media had covered the launch event for Christ in Crisis because it was so positive. And I'm talking about the gathering here in right. Washington, D.C. that I attended and uh, where you spoke and Bishop Curry spoke and then you had a conversation afterwards and talk about diversity. I was scanning that crowd and mm -hmm. saying, I'm not sure that I have seen such diversity in age, gender, race, ethnicity, uh, uh, socioeconomic status, all of it in that room. It was incredible. And yet, why should that surprise us? Because that's the nature of the gospel. Sure, that sure, should be sure. the picture of the people of God mm -hmm. every time they assemble. 
That's what we're going to look like in heaven. Why not here on earth? Just uh, name a few of the cities you'll be in for the book tour because there may be some folks listening to this podcast or you, you can forward it on to somebody who lives nearby. Yeah. If these are public events, are they? Yeah. Where folks can get in on the conversation about this well, reclamation of Christ. Our website, sojo.net, will have a ever-changing schedule. But we're in Washington, of course, and New York. By the way, folks, uh, I'm sure you know all about Sojourners. But just in case there's one person listening who doesn't know, of course, Jim is known best, really, for being the founder and 50-year leader. Uh, Almost. We're about two years away from 50 years. For <laughs> Sojourners. Mm -hmm. And if you're not familiar, it's sojo.net. Mm -hmm. And you've been very kind to invite me into your company uh, very recently, and boy, am I finding just the best of people that uh, surround Sojourners and you and your cohort. So, uh, so name a, a few of the cities. Well, that crowd you talked about—it's not just who will be with in heaven. The body of Christ, the body of Christ globally, is now the most diverse human community on the planet. It's the American bubble that's so segregated. When, when the operative word in white Christian is not Christian but white, yes, we have a problem, a theological problem. So we're going to find these audiences all over the country, Washington, New York, Philadelphia, Boston, uh, and then we go to uh, the Midwest uh, where there's lots of you know, Bible Belt, Chicago, Milwaukee, uh, Nashville, uh, St. Louis, Denver, uh, Minneapolis, uh, and then the West Coast, Seattle, Tacoma, uh, Portland, San Francisco, Berkeley, Oakland, Los Angeles, and then back to Kansas City. And they're just 20. Do you know where you're going to be in Tacoma? Tacoma, it's a bookstore that churches are putting an event together from around the place. Okay, but all Tacoma the places, folks, look that up. And get, all the places get to are going to, at sojo.net. Okay, sojo.net, you'll find time, the itinerary. Place. So a bookstore will have an event, but if it's a larger event, they often have it in a church or an mm -hmm. auditorium or some larger venue, mm -hmm. and it becomes a lovely town meeting, you know. So I, I, I think it's going to be an opportunity, and particularly right now, we're this podcast will will go out soon, but we're in Washington here with this impeachment drama yeah. just emerging that we're watching you and I every day. And um, this could be an opportunity to go deeper than the politics. Mm -hmm. uh, impeachment is a political process which should be done constitutionally and done well and fairly. But there's also an issue about a moral impeachment a moral impeachment of political leaders who don't take their oath of office seriously or their role to oversee uh, politics or maybe religious leaders who have been uncritical in their support for this president no matter what he does. What if we yes. don't just watch the hearings but study Jesus while we're watching the hearings? Take these questions that the book raises and we're going to have a question per week 
study every question. We have podcasts of young podcasters with me asking their new generation questions. What does it mean to love our neighbor? Or Is that again going to be Sojo? That'll be uh, next week. It'll be on the website next week. So, okay. for example, Jesus says eight times, as you know, be not afraid. Yes. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. We have a politics now running on fear. Yes, indeed. Running on fear. Be afraid. Antichrist box says be afraid. And be afraid of those people. Fear them, hate them, and then violence comes out of that. That's what we saw in the 30s. And you address. And now we saw now. See now. And you address that part of the crisis in the fear question. The fear question. Which is so apropos. And, and folks, you know, you don't have to look any further than a lot of the political fundraising mail that you get, which is all about fear because. And Jim, you and I have both sat with fundraisers in this town. And, uh, you know, I've heard some say blatantly, give me some fear and give me some anger and I'll raise 10 times as much money for mm -hmm. you. So there is a whole economy of fear. And we could get into a conversation about that, but we're actually out of time. Well, the conversation, though, is framed by Timothy. I talk about this in that chapter, the spirit of fear. Being afraid, uh, being afraid is human. Now, there are things to be afraid of. Of course. Of course. It's the spirit of fear. And now we see politics running on the spirit of fear. So I don't think yes. we're going to upend this by just, I say, don't go right, don't go left, go deeper. Mm. We've got to go to uh, the spirit of fear and what it means to be not afraid. Bring Jesus into our boat with us on that stormy sea. Ask the questions he's asking. And what if this crisis, terrible crisis, was somehow part of what brought us back to Jesus. That's redemption. And that's what I'm hoping and praying for. Well, Christ in crisis, why we need to reclaim Jesus is certainly a seed that I think will give great harvest, uh, spiritually, morally, socially. So I hope you'll buy it. Christ in Crisis, Why We Need to Reclaim Jesus. When you do that on Amazon, I always ask you if you'll go to smile.amazon and name the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute as your uh, charity. Uh, I forget, designated charity is what they call it. And then every time you buy Christ in Crisis, you'll help promote the work of the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute, which is deeply grateful for the work of Jim Wallace and Sojourners and the partnership we now have. And Jim, uh, God bless and use this latest of your work. If you're not familiar with Jim as an author, he's prolific, just Google, just go put his name in at Amazon. You'll see what a library, uh, Jim, you've given to us. I have just about every one of your titles on my shelves in my study. And of course, you gave me an early read of this one, Christ in Crisis. And I, I tell you what my reaction was to it. Immediately, it called me to prayer. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is really a devotional book as much as it is anything else. It's also, it's been described as a field manual. Mm -hmm. Because if anything, you've been a man of action. 
your whole life and ministry. And so this isn't just theory. This is also practice. It's how we live this stuff out in our daily lives and especially facing the challenges that we do. So Jim, thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. And folks, after you're done reading Christ in Crisis, please post your comments. Let's get our own discussion going. While you're out on the road with your, with your uh, tour, Jim, we'll have our own discussion going at the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute all about Christ in Crisis, why we need to reclaim Jesus. I'm here today because every conversation I have with you is a blessing. And that's true today. Thank you, my brother. Igualmente, my brother. Thank you so much. Thank you.